Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all. The one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us, and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Monday. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Doing good. I hope uh, you are as well. Did y'all have a uh, nice uh, Mother's Day yesterday and everything? Well, you know, I got it done, right? That's the that's the key. <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 I ticked off everything on the list, and uh, you know it was a it was a happy family scene there at the end of the day. So I, I feel like oh, that's what that's what you want. That's what you yeah. want, and uh, I hope everyone in our audience also had a happy Mother's Day. Happy so, Mother's Day to are. all the uh, all the moms out there. How about how about around uh, Casa Gordon? How did uh, how did that, that all go? Well, it it went well. It's a little bit of a low key Mother's Day because we were celebrating the uh, high school graduation of our second oldest. Uh, son and uh and so that went really well on saturday night we had a great time with that and uh and then just kind of recovered <laughs> something like that can Sunday. eclipse even mother's day right one of the biggest yeah days well of the year, it can but... it can and uh you know uh Sherilyn being the good mother that she is uh understood and uh was definitely threw in uh along with the rest of us on celebrating matthew's uh graduation so well mega congratulations to to matthew and uh Special Happy Mother's Day belated to Sherilyn for being such a good sport. All right, great stuff. That's right. Well, we got some computing paradigms to talk about this awesome. evening, Stephen. This is this is uh, fun stuff. <laughs> shifting shifting computing paradigms, and and we're gonna we're gonna look at three examples, three very different examples, but I think they show how fast things are changing, and how quickly we're seeing things that up to now we might have thought of as being highly speculative or somewhere outside of the realm of everyday practical application kind of on that road on the road to becoming on the road to becoming real and what I thought we would do is we got these three stories we're going to talk about I think we're going to narrow in on the more practical the the ones that are closer to being something that that we're actually going to see and so if we're starting with the far out it only makes sense that the first story is about quantum computing right so that's uh Quantum computing is it going to become is it going to become the computing version of fusion energy? I guess that's the that's the question, right? Is it is it going to be the I, 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 amazing I, I, technology I, that's always not. out there somewhere? What yeah. do you think? Well, you know that there's it, it's kind of had that feeling for a while. You know, everybody talks about quantum computing as as something that's going to happen immediately and. Uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of like one of those things. Uh, you know, it's 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 out there until the day it arrives, and um, you, you know, and, and it surprises everybody. Well, hey, that happened already. Um, I, I think uh, you know, IBM is it's basically announced that they're on the verge, and uh, now now we we have the story here about China and what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, actually, IBM has announced. Yeah, IBM has announced they're in the business of it. Um, yeah. Which raises the question of, well, do you have one, right? I mean, you know, they, they yeah, do you have one to sell? 
Yeah, <laughs> but they're but they're in the business. Uh, so that's a and and we took that when we talked about that a few uh, I guess a couple months ago now as kind of a good sign that it's it's becoming more real. And here's here's another sign that it's becoming more real. This story: China adds quantum computer to high performance computing arsenal. This is at PC World, and one of the things they point out is that China already has the world's fastest supercomputer. So right. we, we're not living in an era when China makes a big announcement about computing and we say, oh, well, communist propaganda or some, something like that, right? That is not the appropriate response. If China says they're doing something big in technology these days, you say, what are they doing? And yeah. what's the impact going to be? Because, because they're, making, they're making huge strides all across technology and particularly in computing. So when they say, they're, when they say they've got a quantum computer, it's something to listen to and to think about. What's interesting about what they're doing here is it's a new architecture for quantum computing. Five photon sampling and entanglement, uh, whereas previously they had been working with single photon sourcing. So they're, they're saying that what they're doing now, this is going to work up to 24,000 times faster than what they were talking about before. And what they were talking about before wasn't exactly slow. It wasn't exactly, you know, um, a old-school uh, traditional architecture. So... I see this as more like they're doing research in quantum computing. You know, the headline, as far as uh, they've added a quantum computer to their high-performance arsenal, I doubt they're doing any real work, any real computing work so far on this quantum computer. But they're definitely researching it. They're definitely making big strides in that direction, it looks like, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so, yeah, they're doing they're doing they have done some of the basic research that needed to be done and now i you know it's a little bit like their announcement uh china is in the quantum computer business you know it's very much like the ibm uh, announcement a little while back um but you know what it's it's interesting and like you say if they're making that announcement then uh um you know that's uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 quite likely that uh, they've they've got they've got something, and they're and they're getting close. Well, and they're also uh, working I, on what's called boson sampling. Um, this is this has been this has been discussed as one of the easy ways to get to quantum computing. The interesting thing about quantum computing is that there's a there's a core concept of what it is and how you make it work, and then there are these various approaches that are being tried for how you get there. But the fact that they talk about five-photon sampling here and they talk about um, boson sampling there shows that you know, there's a, it's not necessarily dabbling, but there's a certain amount of we're going to try multiple approaches going on here, even in, even in this one story that's talking about how China is making, is making big progress in, in quantum computing. Even between the lines here, you can read, well, they haven't got it completely figured out yet, right? <laughs> they're, 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 trying, they're trying multiple things. And this still isn't the announcement that they're running their power grid off a quantum computer or something like that, which is which is going to be a, a big announcement to come at some point from someone, right? That they're actually solving a big computing problem with quantum computing. So far that I can yeah. think of, no one has actually said that, have they? Right, right. Uh, and I was at a salesman uh, problem and things like that. That that are that, those things. Once you are able to solve tough problems like that with quantum computers you can you could have a truly smart grid and uh um and so uh, that's uh, uh yeah we we want to we want to see those sort of announcements at some point but 
it's uh, hey, I, hey, I'm 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 hopeful enough uh, that uh, it, it's. I still hope it's the United States first, but uh, it's okay. You know, well, I, but, I want to I want to see it done somewhere. Well, the good the, the great thing about an announcement like this is that it does spur everyone else along. If they That's say, right. well, China's China's making big progress. We got to get serious about this too. Obviously, the folks at IBM who are selling quantum computing as a service or marketing it at least at this point are looking at this and saying, well, what are they doing? Uh, how does this compare to what we're doing? What are we going to be able to offer? What are, what are they going to be able to offer? And I, I was I was at a technology conference last week put on by a major software vendor. It was for uh, industry analysts and influencers, and I at breakfast one day, I was in on a really interesting discussion about quantum computing between one guy from academia and another guy who is just uh, a consultant. He, he does big IT projects. And, and he said, well, he had seen this story. And what's the likelihood that we're ever going to see anything actually happen with this, says the you know, the guy who does this as a business, right, who's interested in this is kind of from the standpoint of when am I going to be talking to my customers about it. And the, the, the guy from academia, he says, you know, the real problem with quantum computing is that there's no good way yet to have a, an ongoing stable quantum computing environment. You know, this kind of rarefied set of states that have to exist it's easy for that to collapse and then it quits working, right? That's that's really the problem that they have with, with quantum computing right now. And he says, everything else you see about architecture and about how fast and how many qubits and all that kind of stuff, these are all interesting problems. But until they figure that one out, and whether that's via five-photon decay or boson sampling or whatever, right, until they figure out a way to have it in a box reliably the way a silicon chip can be reliably in a box, we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to see it in the hands of a, a standard IT consultant, or even solving a big national problem, or a big government problem, or a big unsolved problem in computing. They've got to, they've got to solve that problem first. So, that's, you know, that's interesting. And I, I would, you know, so basically, IBM could be saying, "Hey, we got a quantum computer." Oh no, we don't. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they, yeah, they're not going to say that, but uh, that, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you, can, you know, from, from moment to moment, they may or may not because uh, they have one, and then it, and it gets unstable, and, and and then it's gone. So it's Schrodinger's think. computer, basically, is what it is. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, and so uh, maybe it can solve a few problems, and then they have to, you know, basically, you know, produce another one or something. It's uh, that's a, that is interesting. Huh. That's a big that's a big problem that has to be solved, but we're going to keep seeing stories about this. Uh, the headline I think to look for is stable quantum computing environment when, right. some, when somebody's uh, got one you know, and it's you know pick up one at best buy you know yeah your, yeah that's right <laughs> that's, that's right that, that's that's gonna that's gonna be the driver that's that's when we're going to know that that we're really moving in the direction of everyday quantum computing or quantum computing kind of having you know embedding itself into into what we're what we're doing as an economy or uh, our our day to day lives. Okay, here's a, here's another one, and and this is kind of moving in that direction too. AI startup Neurala claims major breakthrough in deep learning. This is interesting in a different way because again, this this is this is more of an architectural story. But you know that all this huge work is being done in deep learning right now, and deep learning is definitely real. 
this is this is a real technology. It's it's not it's not one that we're going to see in a few years. There's there's a huge amount of work being done in it right now. But as is pointed out in the story, who does deep learning well? Google, Amazon, Facebook. Who does deep learning is organizations that have access to huge numbers of servers. And yeah. uh, obviously there's a lot of research institutes, there's academic, and, and there's other businesses. I'm sure IBM, for example, would be another good example of big organizations doing deep learning. But the point is, it is a non-trivial task to undertake. And as you're training these systems, you're relying on the cloud. You're relying on there being access to a, a big bank of servers that's got all the the information that you're learning, this 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 model that you're building, as as you're de doing deep learning. So you don't typically think of deep learning technology as being the sort of thing that's going to find its way into the consumer experience anytime soon, right? Into the you know into the desktop, what we might have once called the desktop experience, the day to day experience, anytime soon, because of that reliance on having having the access to all the servers in the cloud. Now these folks say they've they've found a way around that. That 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 they have found a way to do deep learning and not have that access. So they're you know, they're talking about putting deep learning onto into smartphones, into smart cars, into into everyday day to day kind of technology. If this is true, and the thing missing from this story here is how exactly they're pulling that off. But if it's true this is this is pretty big, isn't it? Absolutely. I still like uh, the idea, of, particularly uh, you know, with smart cars or, or auto drive cars, right? If uh, if if a car, uh, if if some some lesson is learned about how to make uh, auto drive cars safer, you would want it spread out among all the cars that have that technology that are auto drive, right? I mean, uh, y yes. So you know, I, some access. You know, carefully monitored access, I should say, uh, to that uh, environment uh, would be would be preferable to make uh, cars safer all the time. You know, that's one of the strengths of um, of a system like that versus you know just normal drivers. If uh, if I have a close call on the road, Bill, it make it might make me a better driver, but it wouldn't make you a better driver because it's not your close call. But uh, with um, with these, with auto drive cars that are somehow connected, maybe it would be. I'm getting a little far afield here, but uh, no. But I think I think that's true. It's it's good to it's good to have kind of an example to work from. And right. the, you know the th the thing about the thing about deep learning is that you're always you're you're always going to have that body that you of knowledge that you've learned from and that you're adding right. to. And and that's and that's exactly what's happening with. With a with an autonomous vehicle, is yeah. theoretically every day, all the smart you know all the self driving cars are getting smarter. They're they're all becoming Hopefully, better drivers. Yeah, they're all learning all they're all learning all the lessons that all of the cars have had. Right. I mean they're right. um, and hopefully that that's um, they're they're getting exponentially safer all the time. But uh, um, but but, but a, traditionally well, for deep learning to occur here's the problem when 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 deep learning occurs and you actually have a a, a point of new learning okay um yeah. which is which is maybe different from changing a value right or you know changing a parameter around some some particular you know adding a data point but but actually 
what what would technically be considered learning you know adding a new learning point is you have to review everything that's been learned right it's like it's like you you have to go back through the whole body in order in order for the new item to to be truly to be truly learned and and they're saying that they have solved that piece of it and now you can learn out on the edge without having to go back and and review the whole thing because for example in a in a in a case like self-driving cars you don't want to have that latency you don't want to have the car to go wait a minute now let me just go back over everything I know about skidding on the ice, you know. And <laughs> yeah, when you're in the middle of a skid, uh, maybe that's not the time, right? Um, yeah, it's not the time or the place to be to be going. I think I've learned something new here, but I don't, you know, boom. Back in the garage the... that night, it can mull yeah. over it, right? Um, yeah. And then be a safer driver on ice the following day. And but, I think that's um, probably, if, if, deep learning, if deep learning is involved in, in how these cars are learning, that's probably how it works, right? Is right. that is that you would add that you would add that new knowledge that night you know the data would be yeah. collected and you would add it that night or 6 months later when when they run a big batch i have no idea how how it's deployed so i'm i'm speaking way outside of my my actual knowledge of 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 how this works but you would not learn something in real time that's the point and and right. and what they're saying is maybe you can maybe you can actually add to the whole body of knowledge that the um that the car has, and it, it, and it can actually learn something in the way it would have learned something overnight or over six months or, or however long it would take. And if that's true, then that's huge. I mean, that's a, that, that's a, that, that's a big step forward because you've got a fundamentally smarter car at that point. It's able, it's able to learn that much faster. Now, it, to me, one of the interesting questions that raises is what does that do to the whole model of deep learning, which which you would think of as, as kind of this this centralized thing, because you think about this big body of knowledge that's that's being added to. But if you got all these cars out learning different things, there would still have to be some kind of note comparing or truing up or something that would have to happen that night or six months later. So I would think so. Yeah, you know, I would I would hope that. Uh that uh, the lessons learned in uh, one car wouldn't just be left in that one car, and uh, um, and and so yeah, I would hope that they would, uh, they would you know, there would be some sort of uh, I don't know powwow or whatever virtually that uh, that you know the notes are compared and uh, and lessons uh, can be uh, uh, you know learned across the board. I think that would make a uh, make safer cars. But what about um, what about this concern, Phil? Uh, uh, you know, like with children's toys, for example, there's a mm-hmm. privacy concern here, right? I mean, if your uh, um, if your kid's teddy bear is, you know, uh, as is is on the cloud, you know, there's there's, there's always concern of uh, that, you know, your your kids are being spied on or something. It's uh, I know it's kind of I don't know that it just seems a little weird. And if if if, uh, if uh, the uh, deep learning is occurring simply within the uh, within the toy. Uh, to be a better toy for your kids, maybe that's maybe that's somewhat better than uh, than having to, you know, have it access a server farm or something. I don't know. Well, that's a good example. I, there's there's definitely a lot of concern. People are becoming more aware of the creepy side of the Internet of Things. We, yeah. we've, we've been sold the fun side, the happy, powerful side of the Internet of Things, which is that these devices are gathering all this data and. Service you know, the world gets lit up right. and becomes smart. Yeah. But when it's your personal items 
that are gathering all this data. It's like, well, these personal items are looking at me, and they're gathering data about me, and then they're sending that data to somebody. Yeah, that's, a, that's an actual concern, and people are worried about that. And I think a kid's toy is a great example of that. You build deep right. learning into a kid's toy, and it's like, well, so, so you know, you're going to have this wonderful interactive learning experience where you're learning and the toy is learning, and, and that sounds awesome. But the point you make is a very real concern that parents are going to have. Well, who's, who's taking these observations? Who's taking this, this information that the toy is learning about my child? Where's that ending up? Who's doing what with it? Who's seeing it? And if you suddenly have your, a, a self-contained environment that still has deep learning capability, yeah, that, 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 that would seem to address that concern, at least, at least to some extent. Now, you still might want there to be, even, even as you have with the self-driving car, you still might want there to be some kind of comparing of notes and, uh, you, you know. Um, yeah, uh, some, so, some uh, much-loved, uh, you know, smart teddy bear, you might want to say, well, why was this child and this, and this toy able to connect so well? You know, and, uh, and then uh, the lessons of that uh, to be spread amongst, you know, uh, other toys. And maybe what, what happened that, uh, that, uh, that, you know, this, this particular bear or uh, whatever uh, is, uh, is now part of this kid's life, you know. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Uh, sure, absolutely. I, I, that, that, that would be interesting, and if you want to share that, you can share it. But it's just like with everything else might, these days, you have that option. Yeah. That's a checkbox, yeah. you know. You can say, I'll, I want to share or I don't, yeah. or, the, yeah. or there's some parts of this that I want to share. And, I mean, that actually raises, it, it, it's a discussion for another night, but there is a whole set of decisions we're going to be making over the next few years about how we're going to share information and how we're going to be sure that it's sufficiently anonymized that it, that it can be useful for what it's doing, that the Internet of Things can actually work, and that we have some semblance of privacy. Because, you know, you think about a sensor collecting data, it's just trying to, it's trying to create like this body of knowledge. It's trying to create this average of averages and, and understand big populations of, of people doing things. I don't mind if my data is going to that, right? Yeah. I don't mind if, you know, if I'm one of 10 million data points on what time somebody gets up in the morning. That doesn't bother me. It's if, if somebody knows now that I get up at 620, and it, they're going to start selling me a TV show that comes on at 6:20, right? It's it's the <laughs> that's a little yeah. <laughs> it, it's uh, when it's about me, right? It's when it's not anonymized. When it's you're 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 fiddling around inside my life. That's when it uh, that's when it becomes <laughs> creepy. And 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 I think that's a really good point. That this is this is potentially uh, a, a technology that can help straighten out that discrepancy. Right, because this this is this is a really good example of where you wouldn't just have to, you know, without giving it any thought, be sending all of your data to some server. You know, it's like, well, here, just take all my data, and we'll sort out who does what with it later. This 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 provides another opportunity to say, well, actually, a lot of data can stay here now, and we'll decide later what's gonna what's what's gonna what's gonna go into the overall calculation and and how we're gonna know that. Uh, that that's private. I, I realize, in some sense, I'm kind of kicking the can down the road, but um, well, I, I think you know. there's going to be opt opt-in options. Options. Yeah. You know, you can if you just if you want to uh, have kind of rather anonymized kind of data that's uh, that's shared just to make the 
system better for everybody, then you, you check that box. And RV just don't even care, you know, whatever, you, you know, gather it all and use it all. Uh, you could check that box too, which fewer people would do. Um, you know, that's, I think there will, there'll be a, we will, uh, there, there will be, uh, societal norms built around this problem. People will figure out, uh, what level of privacy they want. And, uh, uh, and, and we'll, uh, put that across, you know, that, that'll be the decision they make probably for every item in the Internet of Things in their house, right? They'll, exactly. Uh, well, it's like we were know, saying a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's like with the personal assistant. You, you'll want the deep learning working on your side, not on somebody else's side. As long as, as, long as, right. you, as, long as you feel that that's what's going on. Um, then yeah, it's working for my benefit, not, not for Googles or Amazons or, any, you know, it's uh, – it's, it's, it's working to make my life better, not to make it easier for them to sell me stuff or whatever. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's what you want. That's the key. Okay, let's take, let's take this last one because this one, this one gets us actually to immediate benefits. All right, Here, here's, the, here's the headline. Drug discovery AI can do in a day what currently takes months. Headline pretty much yeah. says it all. You think about, you, you, you know, there are a number of hurdles that have to be overcome in getting a drug to market and a lot of them are kind of bureaucratic rules-based hurdles once you've got something to get it appropriately tested and get it appropriately approved and funded and and all that kind of stuff so that's one big problem that that still has to be addressed but another one is just the discovery to begin with doing the basic 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 research that makes it possible to say that hey you know what these two chemicals when you mix them together have an impact on this biological process, which potentially could be a big point of relief for this particular symptom, or could potentially address this this particular condition or, or this particular disease, drug discovery is a big area of research. It's a big time-consuming, resource-consuming area of research, and now we've got a way to do it via AI that is it's hard even to describe. It's hundreds of times faster. They say that uh, one new drug coming to market can take a thousand people, twelve to fifteen years, up to one point six billion dollars. That's the that's the process we're talking about, all inclusive of everything. Compare that with this system, Atomwise, which is streamlining the process and can analyze tens of thousands of compounds in a day. Um, in fact, they even say it can screen a million compounds in a day um, compared to what could be accomplished via via traditional methods. doesn't solve the whole problem, but you know if you, if you if you swing it back to a thousand people in twelve to fifteen years, you're lopping off four or five of those years right you know yeah. you're you're probably lopping off three hundred people right there and um it speaks to the fact that other pieces of the process can be can be automated as well. Um, it's, a, it's a hugely potentially impactful bit of research they got going on here, or actually I would say new application they got going here. Well, a um, couple thoughts on this. Uh, number one, it's, it's huge news for somebody that might have an obscure condition because, yes. I mean, think of it, you're not going to spend $1.6 billion as a drug company to come up with uh, a, a treatment for somebody that, you know, is maybe there's a hundred people in the country that have that problem, right? Right. You just can't, you got, you're not going to do it. You can't, you can't do it. You wouldn't stay in business if you did. So, 
but what if uh, what if you could um, uh, you know uh, streamline that process so that uh, you know uh, we spend one day of computer time and we've got this and, and we've got a promising uh, um, uh, you know molecule promising target right that's um, that that all of a sudden it becomes um, profitable perhaps to to come out with drugs that are that are for a condition that is obscure and uh, only affects a few people. That's that's part of it. But uh, I mean, you know, I think I've lost I lost my train there, Phil. No, that's okay. Well, I, let let me respond I'll, to that I'll one while you. Yeah, let me let me re, let me respond to that one because I because I think that's I think that's huge. Um, the, the the reasons that people with obscure conditions don't get treated is several. It's that it's that whole process. Yeah. But this is a big piece of it. This is a big, who has time to go looking for it when you know that it's not going to provide return on investment for the pharmaceutical company. If 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 you're if you're a pharmaceutical company, you can't put money into researching that because there's not going to be a big enough market to justify it. That's the bottom line. So here it's like, well, if you're doing millions in a day, you can you can find that. What ultimately has to happen for this to to really be the breakthrough. This is step one in the breakthrough and it's a big piece. But what really has to happen for this to become the breakthrough is we have to automate the um, testing, as much of the testing of the uh, of the drug as we possibly can. And this is the and big this one. Was, and this was my second point. I'm, I'm, thank you for bringing me back to that. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, building a virtual population. I mean, if you have a virtual population that the, that the computer, you know, not only it finds the drug target, but then it can test it virtually. And what if, uh, the, you know, our bureaucracy grows, uh, you know, uh, gains some confidence in this because it's, it's, it's proven itself over and over again. Maybe it can relax a little bit. And uh, so that, you know, we can be bringing these things out in weeks as opposed to years and at a, at, at a fraction of the cost. You know, if you can do both the, uh, the drug discovery and the and a portion of the, uh, of the testing virtually, um, you know, you yeah, well because the the truth that. is is once it's automated, if you can do the discovery in a day, there's no reason why you can't do the testing in a couple of weeks or maybe a day. I right. mean, which right. which is a time scale once, that we once it's passed those those tests, you you then would do human trials probably. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, if if uh, if, well, if the regulatory system could relax just a little bit because. This thing has proven itself over and over again. To you know, uh, then you know that would it would certainly streamline the process. Would well, you're heading in the right so. direction, Stephen. But I think I I think you're still missing the big one, which I agree. Okay. You know, it's like if you do the discovery and then you start the testing, and um, then then you do have to do some human trials. So take a year maybe right. for, for for those to occur. But then you really want to fix this thing, automate the approvals, right? Automate the. <laughs> Right. Let the, the turn turn the government portion of it over to uh, to a deep learning system. Now we're we're, we're a ways away from having that confidence, but we got to protect but, our phony baloney jobs, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We we're, we're you know we're we're talking we're talking about uh, AI replacing entry level lawyers. It's going to be a while before it replaces the FDA, but uh, okay, okay. But when it does. Uh, when it does, I think that's that's really when you'll have the breakthrough, right? That's that's when that's we'll right. be able to go from we, we we've recognized a problem to we've got a cure in 
who knows, maybe a few days somewhere down the road. That's, and that's a breakthrough to look forward to. I see we've shot over our time, but that's just what happens when you start talking about computing paradigm breakthroughs. Huh? It's just there's, uh, <laughs> there's, right. Who can stop talking about that? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, well, anyway, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. There's a couple other things we could have talked about tonight. We just didn't, we didn't have time for, but we'll come back to this topic. It's interesting to see things going from the highly theoretical to the very practical day to day and seeing these, seeing these kind of way out there concepts really becoming embedded in, in our, in our day to day lives. It's going to be interesting watching for more of that in the near future. Well, great talking with you, Stephen. It's great being with you all. We will be back on Wednesday with another all-new show. And until next time, live to see it.